Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Taylor Wild. Welcome back to Wild On Season 3, the podcast where you get the insider's view of the weird, wonderful, wild world of wrestling. On Wednesdays, Stay tuned after the break for why successful corporate businesses and entrepreneurs are incorporating tarot into their business models and as a result, becoming even more successful than they could have possibly dreamed of. But up first, born September 5th, 1988. She is an American mixed martial artist who competes in Ultimate Fighting Championship Women's Featherweight Division. She grew up playing many sports, from basketball, softball, volleyball, running cross country, to always wanting to box. In high school, she was made the National Honor Society with many athletic and academic scholarships. She never played sports on a collegiate level due to a broken back. So how did she end up on UFC's Ultimate Fighter? Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, my girl, Raquel Pennington. So what do you know about professional wrestling? Let's talk, let's not talk about MMA for a minute. What do you know about professional wrestling? Well, I've seen that you're a professional wrestler. <laughs> Yay! <Raquel>. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, honestly, like, I really haven't watched professional wrestling since I was a kid. I used to be really into uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Kane. Yeah, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I think the last bit of wrestling that I've actually watched was midget wrestling. Oh, that was just a couple of months ago. <laughs> Did you see it live? Yeah. So they actually came here to Colorado and they were at one of the little like bars and my aunt asked me if we wanted to join. She was like, do you want to go to some res- wrestling? And I was like, sure. We get there and it's like a bunch of midgets. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then uh, it was just, it was super funny, you know, they did all their different roles and everything. And one of them, I don't know his actual name, but they call him 25 Cent because he's <laughs> short, but he looked like 50 Cent. So his little walkout music was in the club. And it was just, uh, it was really entertaining. There is like a, a circuit still. So for anyone that's going to lose their shit about being politically correct, midget wrestling is called midget wrestlers by small people. Call themselves. So we're not being derogatory. That's what they call themselves in wrestling. So everyone fucking relax. Um, they even have shirts that say midget lives matter. See? <laughs> I have one. They gave me one. <laughs> Please wear it out to your next big fight. <laughs> <laughs> so no real connection except to the classic era of professional wrestling how did you find mma mma was kind of a joke uh there was one point i grew up being a huge tomboy yep i've done sports since i was five done everything that you can absolutely think of and then i think around like 12 12 or 13 i asked my parents if i could box and they told me they were like no you're way too pretty and your teeth are too nice we're not paying for that <laughs> so fair i just continued like fighting my guy cousins, picking on my brother. And like, that's where I think that like grittiness came from. Mm -hmm. And then my senior year, I broke my back snowboarding, couldn't take any of my athletic scholarships. So I took an academic scholarship to the the university here in Colorado. And I was kind of just going through rehab, trying to get back in shape. And the first team I started with, they were training in a little yoga studio at the gym on those little like quarter inch puzzle mats oh yeah and it just looked it looked really intense I've never seen MMA before that so they were just like throwing each other around that night was judo and wrestling mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they were going into jiu and I was like hmm so I told my mom I was like I'm gonna go do that and honestly I think she just thought it would be something good to get going with again so yeah, she's yeah. like let's go talk to the coach we went in talked to him next day he was like come in join went in the next day he handed me some gloves, some hand wraps, and I was like, um, what do I do with these? <laughs> had no idea how to even wrap my hands. Right. Ended up, uh, my first training session ever was sparring, and I honestly just fell in love with it. So I got into it, started training, and realized I was pretty good at it. Fought my first fight four months later, and here I am almost 13 and a half years later, 13 wow. years. To go back to it, though, so how exactly did you break your back? Snowboarding. Like, Living the life in Colorado. Was it a freak accident? Were you doing a sweet jump? Like, you know, I wish there was this really cool, like, 
it's really irritating because we actually just got done playing in the terrain park and we were grinding on all the rails doing all kinds of crazy stuff and we were like all right let's just go get some runs in we happened to start leaving the park and i was fixing my glove and the front end of my board hooked on some ice spun me around and it was game over from there and it was crazy because like i immediately like popped up it was a reaction and when i popped up my leg just gave out on the right side but like face planted and and then all the pain started coming and i was like something's not right so i actually started like dragging myself out over to the side and my buddy about 20 minutes later he uh was walking back up the hill he took his board off and was walking it just so happened across the way that ski patrol happened to be looking in the binoculars and they seen it so he was already making his way over to me so no cool story just you know that's you know, a glove. it's usually the way it's like how'd you blow your back out sneezed yeah so, <laughs> yeah right i've done it unfortunately oh actually it was my neck it was my neck it was just like you that know for really all the intense, years uh... yeah <laughs> <laughs> what happened i think it's because i actually tried to hold it back like i was uh in a in public a... like let's not talk about it let's not talk about our cool injuries let's talk about like other things <laughs> all right all right sounds good um, on the left. that's a i imagine a long rehabilitation period from breaking your back how did you keep yourself mentally grounded in that time you say you lost your academic scholarship or excuse me your athletic scholarships well i went a little crazy honestly and then on top of that living at home still my like i had the whole basement mm-hmm. so my room and everything was down there had my own living room and just whole setup and so I couldn't even basically go down to my area. I had to sleep upstairs and, you know, I mean, having to be in a back brace and then on crutches and then just things drastically changing. It took a pretty huge mental toll on me. Like that was the first time that I really like, I've been through some stuff in life, but for something to just kind of change when you have like these hopes and dreams, cause I always wanted to be a basketball star and it was really tough. And you know, I got to a point that I was actually really frustrated. And my mom was just like, you know, she's always been super supportive, and encouraging my entire family. And it didn't matter what anybody was telling me, you know, like, I was just, ugh, I didn't want to hear any of it. And then one day she jumped in the shower and I was like, all right, I am going downstairs. And like, <laughs> karma bit me in the ass right away because I attempted to go down the stairs and I actually like slipped with the crutch. So I went tumbling down the stairs, messed things up even more. Had to go back to the hospital. It was this whole ordeal. Got lectured some more, and then I was like, okay. <laughs> All my injuries have honestly, like, now that I'm older, they've really taught me patience. But that was a uh, that was tough, and I just started finding like the good and the little things. Right. That's all I could do at that time, you know. For sure. A big thing for me is I've been through a lot my whole life, but especially in the last year, I've been through some really trying times and I think I've really dove deep into spirituality for the first time because I've always done so much with the physical and you know being an overachiever and doing contact sports a lot of the times that's a trauma response have you done anything spiritually to keep yourself grounded yeah so you know everybody's like oh finding super physical blah 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 and yeah it's an extremely physical sport of course. but I always tell people it's 10% physical 90% mental And so I think it's extremely important to work on our mental states. And for that, you know, I mean, being an athlete my whole life, I've done sports psychology, which really helps me. But then uh, a big thing for me is I love journaling. So Ah. it like gives me time to like sit with my thoughts. And it's amazing what you can write down. And then if you go back and read it, just even a day or a week later, it's like, what was I thinking? Or like, (laughs) it's really cool to see that. Sometimes I'll just like, kind of go sit in like the sauna or steam rooms. And I just put myself into like, different mental states of my own type of meditation and just kind of really focusing on those things. And then I actually started, so I have a little bit of Native American in me and I went and did a sweat lodge last weekend, actually. It was with some Indians and like going through their whole thing. And, you know, I had to put a, like a long like skirt on and then like the shawl over me. And then I learned like the traditions and like the beating of the drums and the chanting and all the different things that they do and everybody believes in their own things and sometimes when you take it to a spiritual level everybody's like "Mm," and they get all but I can tell you going through that like I don't know what it was just like centering with myself 
I don't know if like the beating of the drums, like just the entire environment, it's it just felt extremely powerful. So that's actually something that I kind of like want to incorporate into just my life. I think people get like, they they think like all the woo-woo things. They think like the tarot cards and the crystals and spirituality is really different than religion because religion, you're looking at a higher power and spirituality is just about being the best you, being the highest version of you and being centered. So I think that's really cool. I've been looking into that myself. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your experience there? Like how was it like a few hours? Was it a day? Yeah. So actually I got there in the morning and honestly didn't even finish till it was like got there around 10, didn't finish until I think it was like around five. And basically they do four sessions. So you go like into the TP and stuff and like before you enter and then before you exit, you always have to say to all my relations and you can't walk in there. You have to crawl. Oh, basically once you commit to being in there, you can't exit. And so, okay. Originally when I arrived, they do the stage and it's like brushing off, like you're like cleansing yourself and cleansing the demons and all the different things and yep. whatnot you change and stuff and then you start the ritual and it's with the drum and so you take pretty much like some tobacco and you go around the drum and you give prayer to the drum then after that the chants start so the chanting went on for about 15 to 20 minutes and then mind you like there's a big fire pit and that's where they're heating up the stones and they have like buffalo skulls surrounding things and everything and then you have your tp and stuff and then like i said once you enter in there they say that like if you're struggling, it's because you're not praying hard enough. You're not releasing everything that your body's holding on to. So you need to give it to creator. You need to give it to mother nature. And like, you know, everybody's like, oh, creator's God and this, that or another. But like, that's not what creator is for Native Americans and stuff. And so it was really cool because like I said, I mean, I've never been claustrophobic. But for some reason, when I got in there, I was like, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know what was going on with my mental state, but I was like, whoa. And then on top of that, they started bringing in the stones and they do four sessions. And the four sessions, you don't know how long they're going to last. But the first one is like praying for thanks and like acceptance and everything. The second session is praying for the world. The third session is your own prayer. And the fourth session is praying again for thanks and then uh, acceptance of your prayers. And it's to the north south east and west so that's why there's the four sessions and you know when they got ready to close it and it was going pitch black in there the original like the start of it I was like okay I can't breathe around smoke and it started getting really smoky yeah and as it goes on you know I mean they're throwing water on it right that's where it's like the stones are heating up and everything but when it first started I was like okay I feel claustrophobic and I can't breathe so Oof. I like kind of panicked and they were like you're already committed to being in here and the little like elderly Indian lady next to me, she was like, calm yourself. She's like, find grounding. Like you can do it. And she just kept getting really encouraging and you're not supposed to talk in there, but okay. I was having a moment. Yep. She saw you. She saw you. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, I kind of found just like a cold spot on the ground and I put my hand there and like pretty much grounded myself. And then when they closed it off and it got pitch black in there, I closed my eyes and I experienced like seeing a little bit of light, mm -hmm. but then I was just listening. And then when they started playing the drums and then doing everything, I don't know. It was just, it was a really different experience. Mm -hmm. If you've ever gotten high or whatever, mm -hmm. like it wasn't like my mind was high, but it was like, my body was like so carefree. And so just like, I don't know. I felt so free, but almost like a body high. Like I was that relaxed yeah. and my mind just had so much clarity it was amazing. What a beautiful experience. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I again, I something I've been interested in, but were you exhausted after it or were you like, like, no, you have, no, oh, you were toast. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't like this, like drained, like yeah. it was just like, I felt so calm, so free, so mm -hmm. relaxed. I didn't feel like talking. I didn't have any extra energy. I was just legit like at peace in the moment. Mm -hmm. So all I wanted to do was listen to like super chill music. Yeah. And then that night, like just slept like a baby. That's great. Or great. like a log. <laughs> sleep hard. Oh, my baby didn't sleep. That's for sure. <laughs> 
he, I think he slept through the night for the first time when he was probably about like two and a half years old. So, oh, yeah, that's that's a long journey. Children are your karma. So, you know, he's healthy. He's happy. But boy, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> now, circling back. So you grew up a tomboy. You grew up fighting your cousin. So how many like non-official fights would you say you had before you got into the world of MMA? <laughs> so I actually got into two official fights with other people besides family members. <laughs> the funny part is I actually, my first fight, the girl kept bullying me like all kinds of, all the time. She was just bullying me. And, you know, I never, I've always been the person that like, you know, I accept everybody and whatnot until mm-hmm. like, you give me a reason not to. And I've hated, I've been a ambassador against bullying and stuff. And so, you know, like I was the person at school that, you know, I would take in the people that they would consider the outcasts or the people that were always getting bullied. And, you know, I just always focused on my academics and focused on sports. And this one girl, her name was Raquel as well. Oh, And she would, yeah, she would actually always pick on me and just kept like trying to fight me. And it was always something. And, at that time it was like my little boyfriend that I had and she was I was like you know you can have him like this I'm not fighting over this well then it was just like you know I was walking through the halls and she would like slam me up against the locker and do stuff and I would never get aggressive really yeah and then like her and her friends would come corner me in the bathroom like it was always something and then finally I'm a person and I could only take so much sure and I was a 13 years old recruited onto a 17 18 year old traveling basketball team Uh, We were training at the Olympic Training Center at the time, and my best friend went to Skate City. That's when Skate City was cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we'd go skating on the weekends. And, uh, yeah, my best friend was there, and she texted me and told me she was there. And I just asked my mom. I said, hey, can you take me over there so I can go see my friend? So we swung by, but I just rolled up in there, and I was like, I've had enough. And I went at her, (laughs) and basically her and four of her little friends, they jumped me. I got the better end of the deal, so I ended up having to go to mediation. I had to pay for medical bills. I got in trouble by my mom. <laughs> oh, shit. So it got really real. It was a real deal. And oh, so shit. I was like, well, I'm kind of good at defending myself. And then I got into one other fight at school, and the principal was just like, I am so confused because you're such a good kid. And I was like, I just can't deal with these people. Yeah. So it was uh, those were my two. But then, like I said, I mean, my guy cousin growing up, he's – they call us Chippendale, and we're five months apart. He's older. But he would just always do stupid stuff, and, like, we were just always picking on each other, constantly fighting, and I can't tell you the amount of times we fought. Really? <laughs> Cannot tell you. So he was your, like, foundational kind of fighting partner. He's the one that, like, I think we would take our anger and emotions out on each other. My nana and papa, which is my grandparents, they always, like, collected cactuses. So she had, like, a little cactus garden surrounding her big tree in the yard. And then really cool stones going around it from different places of hikes. I can't tell you how many times we sat there at my grandparents' house and they had tweezers just picking them out because we would throw each other in them in the middle of our fights. (laughs) He got on my nerves one time. He kept talking crap. And we just got done playing catch and hitting some of the balls for baseball. I just grabbed the bat and whacked him in the face, knocked out his front teeth. Like, that's how bad we were. (laughs) Okay. So you had a a decent fight history before going pro. What was the biggest difference? I know this sounds totally stupid because professional wrestling, you know, it's half entertainment, half kind of like sparring, let's say. Like, we we go at like 75, 80% for lack of better term. But what was the biggest difference between being in like a, a fight with the heat of the moment in high school or in your 20s and then being in a professional fight like where does your mind go that would you say that you would say is different in those two scenarios well mentally you know fighting now like I don't fight with emotion Mm -hmm. I fight with skill and technique and there's a big difference as opposed to back then it was just like out of emotion and reacting then of course gloves (laughs) didn't have gloves then have gloves now (laughs) and so yeah, I mean, now it's just like it's based off a of technique and competition as opposed to back then. It was just like, who's going to be the last one standing here? Right. So it's like uh, essentially your business, your business mind versus just swinging for the bleachers. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting that there's no emotion or 
or very little emotion involved besides wanting to come out on top when it comes to MMA UFC style fighting because it looks so legit in the way that you know when you do guys do your weigh-ins and your how much of that is like professional wrestling by the way are, are, are a lot of the times you guys homies and you're just like okay this is this is where we have to show that we've got you know real heat um, so everybody always asks you know they're like how scripted is it there's no script in MMA like this is genuinely you know everybody reacts so different um a lot of us met because of this sport so right. there are a lot of relationships there but when at the end of the day like we're meeting and if we're meeting the same people or like people in our same weight division like there's a chance that we're going to see each other across the octagon and so you know a lot of people like the animosity builds or emotions build or just during fight week like you have to find ways to emotionally separate yourself so the shit talking comes comes into play and everything and everybody's so different some people really like thrive off of like the hype and like getting themselves into that gear but nothing is scripted at all like it's okay. just however people act it's and it's just real transparent like this is how you're going into the fight this is who you are that's really uh interesting because yeah. i think that's the part the entertainment aspect that people wonder like how much is prodded how much is you know encouraged act this way or whatever but that's all organic yeah it's super organic and i mean you have these guys and stuff you know you take a lot a lot of young athletes too who a lot of people they come from nothing or different things everybody's background so different but then you have young kids who all of a sudden they get put on the biggest platform in the world and they're making lots of money and that alone can change people and so they just start seeing themselves in a different way and start acting right. certain ways and like I said I mean there's other people that as soon as the big lights go on and the cameras come out people like to act a certain way so it really all just depends on the individual and who you are and whatnot I'm just the type I've never I've never believed in talking shit for one because at the end of the day like I sit here and run my mouth all day and then I happen to have an off night like the fight's going to speak for itself but if right. I have to have an off night oh here we go now you got a whole new fight because social media everything else and then you got people coming on on that and it's just uh I mean that's what makes the entertainment right yeah so, just whatever place you're willing to put yourself in I guess and have you been in that situation where you've had to have a, a big fight against someone that you would consider a good friend yeah, so when I fought Misha Tate, we have a huge storyline there. Misha is one of the like most well-known names in women's MMA. I mean, she basically built the path like her and other ones for the women's divisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we went from, I knew who she was. She was actually like one of the second fights I ever seen in MMA. And then, you know, I would see her around one of the promotions I was fighting for. And it was just kind of like a little bit of like, idolization there and then it went from that to I ended up on the ultimate fighter so she was my coach and then after that she asked me to come out and help her train for her second fight against Ronda Rousey so then we became friends and then all of a sudden we had to fight each other so then we were opponents you know what I mean so there was that relationship and then when I fought Amanda like Amanda and I grew in the sport together I've known her for wow. years and everything and you know we've always supported each other and whatnot we've always talked and Every time we would get together at certain events, if she was there and she like adores my family and my family adores her. So then we ended up signing up for the world title together. And so, yeah, there was, there's been some relationships there, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, eh. and then I actually did fight one fight when I was still on Invicta. Mm -hmm. I fought against Leslie Smith and Leslie and I actually used to train together. We started our careers together at the same exact gym. So we oh, were training wow. partners. and then she ended up moving to California and we got signed up to fight and it was just like, okay, cool. But then like, you know, it turned into the whole thing of like, she just started talking crap about my family. She was saying like, she just went deep with it. She took it to a personal uh -huh. level. And that was the first time I experienced something like that. And so like I fought out of emotion in that. And then that mm -hmm. was the first time I experienced an adrenaline dump from having like, all the adrenaline from competition, all the emotions that Cherry carried going into a fight, and then the emotions I had towards her as a person, and just everything. Like that first round, I just came out like, Whoa. I was just, <laughs> wow. It was so much emotion. And then as soon as the first round was over, like there was nothing like being trapped in an octagon. And my brain is like telling my body to go, and my body literally couldn't function because it just, 
an adrenaline dump. Like I shut down. Wow. So wow. wow. Where did your mind go from there? Were you just like fuck, 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 or I was just confused. I remember being in front of her and it like I felt like my arms were like a thousand pounds each and I couldn't get them to go. I didn't even really like want to stand up. And I remember her taunting me in the fight. She started throwing her arms out because like I wouldn't come at her. But like for me, my mind, I was like, let's go. Like, what are you doing? Punch. <sighs> and like my body just wouldn't do anything. It was crazy. And, and is that something that happens to a lot of fighters at least once in their career? Like, is it a hard lesson that you have to experience? You know, I've talked to quite a bit of athletes and they've experienced that too. And the crazy part is, is for me, I didn't realize how much that was playing a part and mm -hmm. it added emotions because, you know, I'm, I've always been like a person of cardio, all this stuff and like crazy, like endurance. But for some reason, I got this fear and it's almost like the body holding on to trauma, you know? And right. so I got this fear and I was like, I'm not in shape. And that's always something I question. And my coaches are like, what are you talking about? Like, there's days that you're sitting here freaking training for two and a half, three hours straight. And all we need you for is a maximum of maybe 15 minutes in a world title fight, 25 minutes. So like, you're wow. more than in shape. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. And so that's what I had to learn to like overcome with things well I experienced that a little bit myself obviously it's not on a higher scale but when you you know you make your way to the ring and you go to jump and it's like your legs are literally made of cement and you're like no 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 I know how to do this I've done this before yeah. and it's just like there's a total disconnect and it's terrifying especially in your case where someone could legitimately take your head off, off. yeah a little riskier. Well, that's really interesting. I'm so glad we finally had some time to talk. I really appreciate you opening up about your spirituality and some of your uh, pre-professional -pre life fights. That was cool. <laughs> We're going to end on one last question. There's not a lot of information about female fighters, period, uh, besides who you are, where you're from, how old you are, and your weight class. Is there anything our listeners could learn from this interview that they wouldn't be able to find via Google about Raquel? Well, the behind-the-scenes fighting. Yes. The things we <laughs> talked about. Honestly, you know, I mean, for the most part, like, I'm a pretty private person, but then there's been mm -hmm. parts of my lives that, like, I've made transparent. So if people follow me on social media and stuff, I mean... I try to put it out there with like my lifestyle and just being down to earth, super outgoing. Like I'm super adventurous. Obviously I have 33 years behind me. Yeah. That's you're so old. Just throw, <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> Feel it these days. I'm 36. Relax. <laughs> we'll throw out a fun fact. I was actually, okay. uh, I don't know if anybody really knows it. I've spoke about it a couple of times, but I've broken a ton of bones obviously, but I was actually born with a broken collarbone that wasn't discovered until I was three and a half weeks old and then the night before my last day of kindergarten uh -huh. um I actually broke my other collarbone so if you touch my collarbones still to this day I freak out like it's the weirdest feeling I don't want nobody touching my collarbone interesting so there's Fun something fact. that a lot of people may not know yeah I like that thank you good sign off did you write that <laughs> Stay tuned after the break for why successful corporate businesses and entrepreneurs are incorporating tarot into their business models and as a result, becoming even more successful than they could have possibly dreamed of. For those of you who've been following me on my spiritual journey, you've heard me talk about shopping at metaphysical stores. I have an insatiable hunger for crystals, tarot decks, books on the supernatural, and incense. Where do I frequently purchase these products? From none other than the Toronto staple metaphysical hub, Happy Soul. They also sell so much more than that and offer numerous online courses on, you guessed it, metaphysical practices. For my listeners not in the Toronto area, good news. They also have a huge selection of products on their online store. Check them out at happysoulonline.com. But even better, you get 20% off your entire order with discount code one word, Real Taylor Wild 2022. 
and that's wild with an E, and you can use that code either online or in-store. Happy shopping! Our next guest is a personal hero of mine. She's the ultimate artist and spiritual guide. She's the magic maker and the creator of my favorite tarot deck, The Light Seers. She is an author and an artist for the legendary Hay House. She is a dream builder and a brand catcher. This interview is for anyone who believes a little magic can go a long way. The manifestation pixie herself, ladies and gentlemen, my girl, Chris Ann. Well, it's really interesting because this podcast has really gone through this evolution where I started focusing on all my girlfriends and my sisters that are professional wrestlers because they're these like backstage badasses that they're, you know, uh, on their own spiritual journeys or they're entrepreneurs or, and then I've been on this big spiritual journey myself. So I spent a lot of time myself looking up spiritual people on Instagram and I found you because this deck, the Light Seers deck that you created, was a real game changer for my own personal tarot journey. So, thank you. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> um, that makes me happy. <laughs> no, it's it's funny because there are so many. Well, not funny, haha, but like ironic because there's so many decks out there, and of course, it's what resonates with you. But I know so many people that that deck specifically was a real game changer. So much to the fact that all my friends that are more spiritual or into the occult, they were like fangirling that I got to talk to you today. <laughs> Aww, that's so nice. Well, we can all fangirl on one another. I am a fan of anyone who is on their own journey and like being vulnerable enough to share it with the world, you know? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, how did you get to the point where, like, I know you're an author and you're, you know, you, you've got a lot of different cards in your deck. What made you develop your own tarot deck, your first deck? My first one was the Sacred Creators Oracle. Mm -hmm. So it was a deck for entrepreneurs. Okay. And at the time when I started to develop it, actually not even prior to developing it, I was looking for it because I had a design business. I had a design, like a typical creative agency design and branding and yep. doing websites and, and people's advertising and marketing and that sort of thing. And I had that for, oh, close to, I think about 14 years. Wow. I'm not great with time. 14, 15 years. I had, I had for a very, had a good long run. And near the end of that, I would say the last five years, I really started to change my business. And I wanted to work with clients that made me feel like I was making a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like working with clients that were doing good work and clients that really resonated. And then I really also started to play with, you know, understanding, especially when I worked with smaller businesses, not as much with like, because I had some larger clients where, you know, you're, you're sitting in a room full of people mm -hmm. doing branding. But when it was those smaller businesses where the business owner was really central to the business and the success of the business, I started to realize really quickly that there was sort of a type that did really well ah. and a type that, that took off really quickly and a type that, that made money in the first year where everyone else kind of just putted along for the first three to five years before they found their group. Okay. And it was often, you know, it wasn't always connected to the business idea. It was much more connected to the entrepreneur interesting and their belief system and how they were kind of fearless and they would take risks and they didn't let themselves get in their own way and you know all of the things that we do as entrepreneurs so my first uh i first started playing with oracle and tarot decks with my with my customers trying to kind of give bring different things to branding consultations so that they would start to give themselves permission to see their own blocks oh interesting and I found that that was a really kind of a cool tool. Yeah. Some people hated it. Some people loved it, right? I lost clients when I did it. So, you know, like, because you take a chance. That's a risk. They're going to be fine with it. Yeah. It's a huge sure. risk. Well, it was, especially. <laughs> Not as much, I would say, now. But yeah. definitely, you know, 10, 12 years ago, it was still quite taboo. Sure. Uh, in business, anyways. And so I looked for years for, like, a business oracle, and I couldn't find one. And so then I just kind of ended up saying, okay, I need this for my clients. I'm going to make it and I'm going to make it and use it myself. And maybe other people will think it's a good idea. Wow. So that's kind of how I got started. <laughs> that's really, really cool. Like, uh, I, I guess my general 
maybe uh, ignorance is thinking you have just been on the spiritual journey yourself and um, you know it was something you wanted to see or maybe you have just an art background fine arts but for it to have been something you incorporated in your business like I'm thinking like the the Netflix series billions and here you are at the top of your corporate game and you're like by the way tarot cards (laughs) (laughs) interesting it was uh, I mean it was like I said it was a risk but I found that they were it was so useful, right. you know, it was a risk I was willing to take because when people were like, you know, people put this sort of sense of magic on the cards sometimes and, and they, they intuit what they're going to intuit. Right. And they think, you know, the power is in the card and not in themselves. Right. But when they do that, they'll often say exactly what they need to hear. They say, you know, they interpret something in the way that they needed to. Yeah. And so that would always be, I mean, it was a fantastic tool for kind of that mm, wasn't so corporate I would say that entrepreneurial community right no I understand and so I've been on this big manifestation reading binge right now and I've started with the the OG Florence Shovelshin what would you say was the biggest difference between those entrepreneurs who were really successful in their first year would you say they were on that positive manifestation sort of journey yes 100% and they were also even more so than that I think the trait that really stood out to me were 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 the people who like they had this ability to make a decision Mm -hmm. and stick with it and give it a try and also then pivot really quickly and not beat themselves up for it Ah. it was this the the trust in their intuition the trust in their decision making ability to just sort of go with it know that it's going to work and then well if it doesn't we're just going to like slightly nudge it in a different direction and it's not like the, the, the sky is falling sure. and my business is over and I'm a horrible entrepreneur, you know? Trusting in their own, it was an intuitive decision-making process. And a lot of times, these, I, I mean, I started noticing the pattern, not necessarily in my small one-on-one sessions. I started noticing the pattern in the people that had larger businesses that I was working with, that they had this sort of ability ah. to just, yep, doing it and within a week they're off. Wow, you know? interesting. And it's just that just shows you know the 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 power of your spoken word and the power of listening to your gut and taking those blockages out is that that's proof is in the pudding that exists in the corporate world even if they don't see it that way but exactly like they would often just call themselves like oh I just have this like great instinct for business of course you know but we on the other side I was just watching them sort of you know watching their their movements and their decision making abilities and thinking this is this is, and seeing it because I because I worked one on one with business owners for so long mm-hmm. that you kind of just start to see the patterns, you know. So that's very interesting for you. Obviously, someone so spiritually aligned, you you work on intuition and you know that there's more than this three D plane. How did you find that balance every day between being a spiritual person and being in that corporate world and like staying in a high vibration? Well, you know what? I would say it wasn't always easy. There was I did a lot of things when I first started my business that didn't feel high vibe at all. You know, like even clients that I took on that I was was in disagreement with their business, and it took me doing that to realize that I'm not going to be happy like doing these things. And one of the first decisions I made was um, I was probably two years into my business, and I got a really good opportunity to do twelve logos. Like, and that's you know was a, is a big project at the time. Sure. Twelve corporate logos, but it was for um, oil and gas, and not that I just it wasn't in alignment with what I want, where I wanted to be, and kind of some of the some of their practices, you know, that particular um, corporation. So I said no, and it was kind of the first. Inkling of wow, I can like make decisions based on my heart in this, and and I'm gonna be okay. And of course, another job came through the door right away because I needed the money. And right. I was like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna do this not just for me, but also for the people that were working for me and how they felt about it, and you know, wanting to make sure that everyone was was feeling good about the work that we were doing. So, I mean, I was able to make some decisions in that way. Yeah. You know, feel good work. Yep. Um, I had to really. I spent a lot of time tiptoeing around certain concepts and ideas and trying to make them much more business sounding. Sure. sure. <laughs> so changing the actual vocabulary. Yes. That makes absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and then once in a while I'd have a client that we could kind of 
you know, I could tell, I could just tell. And I start to sort of, you know, from go from walking on eggshells to, oh, this and that. And we start to talk about manifestation. And we kind of open the door to, okay, let's, how can we bring this into our process working together? And, right. I mean, eventually I had some clients where we, where we did like, you know, we would set intentions with candles and rituals prior to like actually doing nice. the work, which was then in that moment, I was like, this is where I want to be. You know, this is where my, this is bring, this brings all of me to my work. And then I just, just consciously started to shift my business probably around, oh, it was around 2013, I think that I was okay. really like, I'm moving my business into this general direction. And then I just ended up in a place where I no longer wanted to put all of my energy into building other people's dreams. Yeah. And then <laughs> when you made the leap, becoming more aligned with your spiritual business, did everything come pretty, pretty, like, was it, it a flow? It did. It, did. Isn't it, ah, it blows my mind. It did. It totally did. And I was worried for sure because sure. it wasn't just me. I have a, a full-time senior designer that works with me and she's been with me for 15 years. Wow. So when I shifted my business, I knew that I had I wanted to keep her. So it had to be, I had to have enough for both of us. Right. You know, so it was sort of wow. like, I felt like she had been so loyal to my business and its growth and the changes that we went through that I just wanted to make sure that there was always a place for her, you know? Sure. So yeah, it was, it was, I was afraid of course. And, but I also had truly such a privilege when you're an entrepreneur to be able to say, well, I'm going to taper this down while I build this up. Right. So it wasn't right. like a one day to the next. So that was nice. I had that option, but everything came really quickly and so quickly that, I mean, three years later, I, it was kind of like a blink and like, wow, look at this is night and day and more than I ever could have imagined. And, wow. um, yeah, I mean, and I did a lot of, I mean, you want to talk manifesting. I did a lot of manifesting stuff when I was shifting mm -hmm. and incorporating a lot of those sort of intention setting into my, my, my monthly business sort of mm -hmm. cycles and rituals. And I did my first deck as an independent, you know, as an indie author, yeah, indie, indie creator. I wrote a letter to Hay House because I was imagining, okay, maybe they would want this deck. And I wrote the letter and I went through all of their, do you know when you, when you want to get something published and you go, there's like all of these things, a publishing company needs this about your marketing and this about your audience. And they want to know how big your email list is. And I went through all of this sort of, it was a lot of work, to be honest with you, to put together my letter for yeah. them, my kind of package. And I didn't send it. I never sent it. I put it together. I didn't send it because once I started, you know, going down the path, of putting it together I thought you know it's just not quite time yet okay you know it's not the right time and then um, shortly after I did my light sears where I had kickstarted my muse and my light sears tarot as an independent creator like I don't know maybe three years later that was yeah uh, Hay House their acquisitions editor came to me and said you know would you like to would you ever consider publishing with us and I was like oh my goodness yes it's one of my dreams and her name's Allison. She said, well, there's just one hoop you have to jump through. You need to go through the process and write this letter according to these, these, you know, all, you need to put this letter together. Yeah. I was, I was able to say, I have it. Just <laughs> so happens. <laughs> so I went to my old computer, pulled it off, changed it to the title of the, of the publication, you know, and was able to send it to her in five minutes, which was so, I mean, it's like one of those things that you think, it's beyond coincidence, you know, it's just one of those serendipitous things where you sure. put the intention and the energy into it in a way that, you know, it really does. These things don't always pan out in the moment, but they always make sense in hindsight. You visualized what you wanted, you felt it, you wrote it out, and then you even had the intuition to be like, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but, it, but it was there. All you had to do, like, it, that, it's incredible, really. But obviously... You had to believe it. You had to truly, truly believe it. I think so. You know, I really do. I, I mean, sometimes I think sometimes just going it through the motions and sometimes even if we don't totally believe it, we can get ourselves part of the way by just Absolutely. taking action, right? Yep. Maybe I wasn't in full belief at that moment. I'm sure I wasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. The universe is just so awesome that way. It's just so cool oh, the way, it is. you know, it meets us when we when we take our action steps. It 
meets us every time not oh, always the way we great. think but it <laughs> well it it's funny you said that, that that resonates with something that just happened to me I, I'm a full-time firefighter and we have had all these recruit classes come in so they need active firefighters to step down from duty for a few months and teach and I thought oh I, I, I got the email and I thought you know what that that might be really good for me in my life right now um, I'm going through a lot maybe this is the welcome change I need and I thought to myself I'm gonna get this job and uh, I didn't get the job at first and then someone fell off and they called me and they said you're next in line because it's all seniority based they make sure mm -hmm. you know there's no good good job kid it was just you were <laughs> next in line and then I just had this like gut reaction I thought you know what I can't do all the creative things I want to do because it would be going from shift work to straight days and I just I had this feeling as soon as I was offered the job this isn't right and then I looked at the clock and it was three, 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 three. And I thought, okay, <laughs> that's the right decision. It's, it's just, you know, the universe is always, always has your back when you need a sign or something to reinforce your decision. And when you are open, it is amazing how blatant the signs can be for you. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, I see numbers too, when it's something that I'm thinking about the fit that it's like, uh, okay, you're right. I hundred that's, that's one of my, that's one of my biggies. You know, sometimes it's it's the numbers. Sometimes it's the flickering of lights. I see a lot of flickering of lights or lampposts and stuff as well for me for some. Oh, interesting. And I also yesterday got an audio where I was uh, driving home and there was this horrible snowstorm. And I was like, you know, white knuckling it on the road in March. We shouldn't have this kind of snow in March, but here we are. <laughs> right? Uh, like, you know, <laughs> we got this. Oh, yes. I know. <laughs> and uh, I was just, you know, thinking, well, I should probably go through town because it's probably going to be a little more tracked out, you know, the snow right. probably passed. And I wasn't listening to anything that was going on on the radio, but all of a sudden, all I heard was the voice on the radio, because whatever the, whatever, I don't know what the beginning of the sentence was, but it was, you should take the back roads. And I was like, okay. I love it. Here I go. <laughs> and just, you know, having the, the trust that I heard that in that exact moment for a specific reason, I'm like, okay. And it's so nice to have this conversation with someone who's like-minded because you have these moments and you're like, amazing. I can tell no one. <laughs> and of course, I, I do have friends that I can tell, but it's just, you know, we're still very much in this place in society and we probably always will be to some effect that you can't always share these frames of thought that you have but that's okay that just you know it's it's our, our special little secret <laughs> well it really is a whole way of seeing the world right not everybody has that it's this whole kind of openness to possibility and most people don't most people live really in quite a trance even when they think they're being open to possibility and myself included you know I go through the motions right. and I have the same thing in the morning for breakfast and it's all kind of there's a lot of mindless stuff that happens yeah. in my day it takes a lot of yeah. work to be always open <laughs> it, yeah that and that's true I think uh you know they always say like do less manifest more but we don't live in a world that we can just you know be monks and sit around and you know just wait for these great things to come to us you do have to be a bit an autopilot to survive mm -hmm. <laughs> so what is your earliest memory uh or the moment that you kind of realized that this this was a part of who you are being spiritual i remember being probably uh, three or four and kind of just seeing a lot of stuff and seeing, uh, I was very imaginative and that's what I always mm -hmm. chalked it up to was imagination and growing up, like I grew up with the idea that I was super imaginative and super creative because but yep. looking back, you know, I remember, you know, slow, shortly after my, my grandfather passed, I remember seeing like a, like an old man sitting in the corner of the room at night. And I remember seeing like a face on my on my window in the frost but it was but it was an Egyptian and it was talking to me and I remember hearing voices when I was cleaning up in my room and they were whispers and so I remember talking to my parents about all of this stuff but really yeah. they had no clue you know it, it wasn't that they weren't listening to me but it was just like little kid play stuff you know sure sure oh what a what a what a 
what an imagination you have. And that was yeah. like the <laughs> the tagline to just what everything I said. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I think I had very similar reinforcement. And it's just, you know, it's, what do you say to that? It's a kid just being imaginative. But, yeah. you know, it's not till you get older and you become your own your own steerer of your boat that you're like oh no no there there is much more going on here and I look, i'm I not look just creative at, totally some of the messages and i'm like you don't get those messages when you're four like from your from your doll you know like, <laughs> totally <laughs> and uh yeah and it's but to this day i would say because of that um reinforcement that it was imagination and creativity i have a mm-hmm. real difficulty on twining the two it's like I get this information and it feels to me like it's like creative like what's creativity and what's intuition for me it's still kind of messy to to pull them apart I don't have I mean there are some things that are very much intuitive but sure but they're still they're still so closely related in my mind because that's oh that's the place they were put in when I was a kid sure but that makes a lot of sense too. being a creative like the way the information channels down to you is like the opposite of crystal clear so to know and to differentiate but I guess for you it's worked out in the most beautiful sort of synchronicity as your art is uh, you know a form of divination for so many and I kind of wonder if maybe that's the difference between your decks versus other people is the way you see spirituality you put onto your cards if that makes sense so I've never thought of that's cool yeah it is because it is really much like you know like this entanglement of like what is creator what is the muse Mm. and you're just channeling all of it which is I they're this yeah they're it's like the same source for me so pretty cool so do you do a lot of tarot readings for yourself do you do them for friends anymore because you're in a place where I'm sure like you know you just there's not enough hours in the day (laughs) (laughs) so uh for myself I don't do as many as I used to do okay you know for years and years I did daily readings I was always you know very engrossed in my tarot practice now I probably read for myself maybe once a month okay just when something comes up when I'm stuck when or I have extra time like it's if I have this like luxurious time and it's uh, a certain day or a portal or a new moon and I just really want to go deep and I and I want to go deep with journaling then yeah I'll often pull a card if if I feel like I need that as far as reading for other people the really I mean I do but it's mostly in the container of I have a program that's sacred creators and I work with business owners and building their business so it's I do a lot of business readings okay I don't do I don't have like a book for a, a session that's like an open tarot reading session. I don't do that anymore. Sure. I, I don't like doing, it's not that I don't like reading for people because I really do, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily love like the tip. I don't like doing readings that are about love or about health or I really like the career business. Yeah. That's just, or, or creator potential life purpose kind of area that just is where my heart is and that's where my strengths lie with a love reading so many times as a reader you're going to hear the same questions over and over again and so and I really I find it so difficult to watch someone most of the time with love readings people are coming because they want you to tell them what they want to hear yeah that's my experience it's not really like they're really open to like Unless they're, unless it's just an open reading where it's, will I, you know, how, where will I find, what do I need to know? Those sorts of things. Right. But when it's about a specific person, it's always that they're coming to you because they want, they want the information they want. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) That makes complete sense. Um, I would say for your deck, for my daily readings, uh, for the Lightseer's deck, I always do the two card pull and I find that's perfect, but as someone experienced as yourself, I have a question about your intuition when it comes to pulling the same cards all the time, even when you shuffle the shit out of your deck. <laughs> what does well, that mean? Well, I love mean? it when it happens. Okay. <laughs> I absolutely love it when it happens, and especially if you're talking like three times in a row, because the, the potential for that gets multiplied by 78 each time. So you get mm. into like really big odds, you know, by the time you're hitting three and four times in a row. 
and it's just so beautiful. I don't really, I can't tell you exactly. So I have different, I'm of different minds. Okay. My logical mind is now like interrupting myself as I'm trying to speak. <laughs> of course. So, <laughs> so my logical mind is like, well, it could just be that there's some sort of energetic imprint that's left on the card. Right. You know, as, as we, as we leave energy around and maybe you're just noticing that so you're pulling the same one. Now my other mind is saying, but you wouldn't pull that same one unless you needed that information. Yeah. Like you maybe got the message, but you didn't really get the message. Yes. Maybe you got the message and you're, you haven't put it into practice or what often happens is we get the message and then we're either asking the same question or we're asking the same question with different words, but it's really about the same thing. Mm. And so the same card is going to keep showing up because the cards are, I find that they can be so humorous, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they can be so literally in your face saying, I've already told you. <laughs> Why aren't you listening? <laughs> I feel like I'm that person like they already they always tell me once whatever form it comes in whether I'm using my pendulum my cards listening to spirit guides angel numbers I I feel like I always get the message I go "Uh uh-huh and then I just get lost in life and then I'm given like I learn everything the hard way I am that person and (laughs) I just think it's so cool that no matter how many times you you know screw up or make mistakes the universe always has your back and they're always there to be like, we already told you this, but here you go again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that we do learn in cycles, right? I mean, I'm sure that you, you've, you've, you've had this in your, you know, this is, it's probably not a new concept to you, but I always, I feel like we cycle and we spiral up and, you know, we learn the lesson again at a different level. Like once we've mm-hmm. ma- we think we've mastered it, then it's going to show up again, even, you know, when, with bigger energy or with stronger energy to make, to, it's almost some people will call it a test. I don't know if it's a test or it's just like uh, the same energy coming back to us to go, you know, like sometimes I think we're like, if I look at what's happening, if there's something difficult that's happening in my life today, or if I'm working through, I don't know, any sort of anxiety or any sort of worry today, I always see that as sort of being the culmination of the energy that I was putting in yesterday. You know? right. Not necessarily that this is me in the moment. So sometimes we just have to work through stuff that we have to work through because of the energy we put into it last year. Right. You know? <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And I didn't think of it that way, that it is cyclic. And uh, yeah, you, you can graduate from that lesson in the moment, but you might not be actually quite done. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, we spiral upwards in that energy, I think. Mm, I mm-hmm. like that. Now, in the world of social media, uh, you know, everything is pretty out there uh, about your life. Mm-hmm. But for our listeners who may have not may not be familiar with you or, you know, just might be getting to know you and all the things you produce. Is there anything you'd like to tell them that they, I don't know, maybe like uh, fix a, a bias that might be out there or just a fun fact? Anything you'd like to leave the listeners with about you? Well, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of an open. I, I mean. I'm not, I, I, let me say, it. I'm like, I'm kind of an open book. And then I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I am an open book in so many ways, like about what I'm creating, what I'm doing, my thoughts on a lot of things. Like I do share a lot, mm-hmm. but I would say that I also do, you know, I share everything that feels relevant to the work that I'm doing, you know, and I do share a lot as, you know, through anything to do, like, like I said, with the work I'm doing, with the things I'm creating, with, with what's up in my life, anything. And when I do share, Mm -hmm. it's always, I always try and, you know, be open and vulnerable, but of course there are some things that, yeah, yeah, there's, there are parts of all of us that we hold back on social media. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, did I answer your question? Yes. Oh no, no, you did. (laughs) I, I think that's a good answer. (laughs) <laughs> Where can our listeners find your personal social media, your website? So on Instagram, my name is Pixie Curio, just the way it sounds, P-I-X-I-E-C-U-R-I-O. It is not the handle that I would love to have, but I started it before <laughs> I, you know, before I started doing this online. Yep. So um, it, it's just, I'm, I'm stuck with it now. <laughs> so Pixie Curio, and my website is... Um, chris-and.com so that's chris like a guy would spell it c-h-r-i-s-a-n-n-e.com
Raquel Pennington. Okay, I love Raquel. Honestly, it seems like a totally different vibe when it comes to female MMA fighters versus female professional wrestlers, but it's almost this, uh, it's the same unspoken bond. I just, I can't put my finger on it that I've never spoken to Raquel before, obviously. I'm just getting to know female fighters in the MMA world, but like her, like Katarina, like Alicia, I feel like I could speak to them for hours and we have this commonality and I don't know if it's being a misfit or a female in a sport that has been heavily dominated by men for essentially always and we're all coming up in these spart sports where we've had to carve out our own kind of enclave and safe space but the really interesting part about fighting as a female or male really is that no no more as a female because it's tight-knit it's so niche you're gonna end up coming up with some of these girls that you're gonna end up squaring off against in the octagon in a fight that, you know, can really be a career maker or breaker. And in professional wrestling, there is this kind of unspoken understanding that when you're in the ring and it's with a really good friend, chances are you're gonna probably light each other up a little bit harder than you would someone you don't know or that you really respect. You know, you go out there and you, you can give her because at the end of the day, you know it's all love. And I'm sure that's a lot the same just on a the stakes are completely different for MMA but I'm really enjoying learning about this world as it's different but I think the sisterhood is actually very similar at the core so don't be shy hit me up DM me send me an email let me know what you are thinking but as always I couldn't do this without my badass punk rock girl band the wild on team my right-hand woman, my queen, producer and editor, Rochelle Duras, my marketing specialist, Madison Golshani, my branding, marketing, internet, savant, things I don't understand anything about, Nastasia Beverly Hills, and our boy from the Superkick Studios in Toronto, our sound engineer, Matteo Sessa. Thank you, I love you guys. And until next week, Stay calm and wild on. Let's get wild.